Now we're going to jump right into our sermon today as we continue working through Jesus' final message. Now, as I've told you each week, this message is the last opportunity that Jesus has in his ministry to communicate with his disciples. He's literally just hours away from being arrested and being separated from his disciples. And these are the last words that he has to speak to his followers after three years of all this ministry and activity and time together. Now, they've just finished dinner. That's where we ended up. Uh, on last week. They finished dinner, and the last words Jesus spoke to the disciples are, come now, we've got to leave. So now they're, they've left the upper room where they've eaten dinner, and he's given this wonderful teaching that we've looked at the last several weeks, and now they're headed towards the Garden of Gethsemane. Now they're not there yet because we're going to see in a couple chapters where they enter into the Garden, but they're on the way to the Garden. And this is why it's so cool to have the Gospel of John, to have all of these chapters and this teaching contained of Jesus' last night. And here we're traveling now from the upper room on the way to the Garden. And we don't know which path Jesus took. Uh, there's been lots of speculation about which way they went, what gates they passed through, but most scholars agree that at some point on the journey between the upper room and the garden, they either passed by a vineyard that was being uh, tended, or they were looking up at the temple, which also, over the top of the doors of uh, Herod's temple, there was a vine and th this imagery that Jesus is going to talk about today. So whether they're looking up at the temple or they're stopping along the road, Jesus is using what's available to him to once again instruct his disciples, just how he has through the whole time of his ministry. He used what he had, uh, what was around him, to help all of this kingdom of God stuff make sense to us. Now, Remember, in just a few short hours, Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to be taken before the high priest. And so I just love that here we are a couple thousand years removed, and the teaching that Jesus is going to offer his disciples on the road between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane still remains to this day just as important, as powerful, as viable, as uh, it, it just uh, uh, so impactful and the application of it is so important for us to understand. So let's just read the account here from John chapter 15, verse 1 through 17. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. That is, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is... This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, 
that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Let's pray. Lord, I I ask you now um, that your Holy Spirit would help us as we go through this text. I just pray, God, that we would do more today than just get in our head what you're trying to say. I pray, God, that um, your words would impact us, would, would call us, God, to what it is that you have and desire for our life. I pray that you'd instruct us now by your Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. I love this text. Uh, I, there's so much good stuff in John 15. It's about relationship with Jesus. It's about love. It's about good works. It's about community. It's about mission. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this is an incredibly important passage. And here, I would recommend this to you. And some of you already, I can hear you scoffing before I say it. This is a passage you should work to memory. This is one of those passages from Scripture. I know there's a lot there, but there's so much that applies to everyday Christian living that I would recommend you read this regularly and much of it, if not all of it, you uh, commit to memory. Why? Because then you're fueling yourself because this is going to, as we work through this, you're going to see how this really uh, is impactful to our Christian life. So I'm going to give you the life point right off the top, right at the very start, so that if I'm losing you already, I, I want you to get the point of today's message. So here's the life point. Disciples of Jesus abide in an intimate, life-giving, fruit-producing relationship with their Savior. That's the point of the message. A disciple of Jesus abides in intimate, life-giving, fruit-producing relationship with their Savior. Now, if we're going to understand this, before we jump in and start really pulling the text apart, I think it's important that we talk a little bit about agriculture, okay? Because there's a lot happening here in this image with agriculture. And so this week, I reached out to our resident nutty guy, uh, elder extraordinaire, agronomist, hazelnut farmer, Tim Amon, and I asked him for um, some input, and I asked him to send me some photos from his hazelnut farm here nearby, just outside of Silverton. Now, one of the things I want to show you in this first picture, this is a picture of the ice storm that took place just a few years ago. In the ice storm, their orchards were devastated. You can see the canopy is completely removed. From this orchard. It's completely broken and busted. So then after this happens, they've got to clean it up. This is what it looks like pruned afterwards. This is the process that they went through, um, really losing so much of the canopy of the trees. And then this is a picture from this year. Now, this picture from this year was taken, and I was asking uh, Tim a little bit about this process. He said in 2021, after the ice storm, they only got 1,300 pounds per acre of harvest that year. The, the following year, it increased to 2,300 pounds per acre, but 2023, there are over 4,000 pounds per acre. In fact, next year looks even better. And what he said was remarkable. He said, actually, before the ice storm, we were seeing a declining productivity in our orchards because so much of the orchard was infected with blight and so many other problems that for years it had been in the decline, but now they're seeing record harvest come 
from that devastation of having the whole thing need to be pruned, now suddenly it's become fruitful again. And I want you to understand this. When a farmer prunes his trees, what is his goal? What's the motivation behind the farmer when he goes to prune his trees? Is the farmer intending to hurt his trees? Is the farmer intended to show the trees who's boss? Does the farmer intend to demonstrate his ultimate authority and power over the trees? No, when a farmer prunes his trees, he's cutting away what is dead or unproductive or wild in order to provide health and strength to the tree. His desire is to help the tree become fruitful, to make the tree prosper. And if we were to properly understand just how good the vine dresser, the father in this analogy is, I think we'd cry out like David in Psalm 139, 23 through 24. David, this is a prune me verse. David says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in your way in the way everlasting. You see, David knows how good the vine dresser is. And so David's crying out, search me, know me, God. See, this is what Jesus is talking about here. And it's so important that we understand the analogy, that we're not talking about an angry vine dresser who's hacking to pieces the vineyard because he doesn't like it or he's mad at it. We're talking about someone who's trying to help the vine, the, the branches to bear fruit. He, he wants them to be fruitful. Now, I love that right off the bat, from the get-go, actually, the focus isn't on us. The focus from the start isn't on the branches. In fact, the focus from the beginning is on the vine dresser and the vine. And you're going to see that. Let's look at it again. Verse um, 1 in chapter 15, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. We see right out of the gate that Jesus is not just some vine. The contrast that Jesus makes here isn't good versus best. Jesus doesn't say, I'm the better vine. It's true versus false. I am the true vine. And all other sources that propose to give us life, that propose to give us what only Jesus can give us, are false vines. See, remember, Jesus has just got done teaching them that he's the way, the truth, and the life, that only he is the source of real, true life. And that's, once again, in this analogy, what we're seeing here. Now, friends, you need to understand this. This may be one of the most important lessons that you understand about living out the Christian faith. Jesus makes 100% clear here. He doesn't beat around the bush. He says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, he's in the context here speaking about bearing fruit. He's in the context here speaking about living a fruit-filled life. And he makes it totally clear that without me, apart from me, you can do nothing. I've got a, a prop here that I uh, retrieved from the yard this morning. This is a branch 
off of an apple tree. Now, this branch is looking pretty good. It's healthy. It's even fruitful. It's got... Now, let me ask you, how fruitful will this branch be next year? I know this is simple, but it's for a reason. Right now, this branch looks pretty good, right? It looks pretty good. It's got nice green leaves. It's got fruit. But apart from the tree that I very unlovingly ripped this off of, this is going to wither and die. It will not bear fruit. It will not stay looking this way for long. And Jesus makes this abundantly clear for you and I. We need to get this right now, friends. The only way that we can produce fruit, the only way that we can see the fruit of God in our life. Let me just ask you, do you see a need in your life for love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness, self-control? Or do you feel out of uh, alignment with any of those things. Well, the solution is not to say, I need to be more loving. I need to be more loving. I need to be more loving. The solution is the connection to the vine. This is so important that we begin to understand. Once again, this tree branch here can wish to produce apples all at once. It never will. Why? It's disconnected. The only way for this thing to be fruitful is through its connection. Paul tells it to us like this in Colossians 1, 10 through 11. He says, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. How can you and I bear fruit in every good work? Can we do that by working harder? Can we do that by striving more? Can we do that by reading more helpful self-help books about how to improve myself and become a better person? What Jesus says is no. We are completely unable and incapable of bearing fruit in our own lives on our own. But I've got amazing news for you today. Here's the good news. He doesn't want you to do it on your own. He actually doesn't want you to even try. God doesn't expect us to be fruitful in and by and on our own. He knows that Jesus is the source of all of these good things. And so he's inviting us, Jesus is inviting us to remain connected to him in such a vital life-giving way that his fruit actually comes from him and flows through the Holy Spirit and by the Holy Spirit into our lives. Jesus says it like this, if you abide in me, I will abide in you, and you will bear much fruit. In fact, that's a promise. That's one of those promises from Scripture that you can memorize and and keep for yourself. If we abide in Jesus, he will abide in us, and we will bear much fruit. Fruit, according to Scripture then, is the natural result of being connected to Jesus. You see, we have this loving Father who the Jesus in this analogy is saying is pruning us. He's actually keeping stuff off of our life that would cause us to be unfruitful because He wants to see us fruitful. Why? He wants you to have blessing in your life. Fruit is good. He wants you to experience the good. 
that he has for you. So he's willing to do this hard work in keeping us uh, fruitful. So if all that's true, what's our role? What's our role in this whole thing? And Jesus says it multiple times. Our role is to abide. That's our role. Our role is to abide. Go back to verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Unless you remain in me. That's what that word means. That might be what your translation says. Unless you remain in me. Unless you put roots down, unless you set up shop, unless you camp here, unless you get comfortable, unless you hold on and don't let go. Jesus is saying that you and I are invited. Actually, it's bigger than that. It's commanded. You and I are commanded to abide, to hold on, to stay connected to Jesus. And I just love this image. I just think this is a beautiful image for us to get right and understand. When you think of the Christian life, what is it that you picture? Because this, friends, really comes down to the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so often in the Christian life, we think it's about all the stuff that we've got to go do and all the things we need to know and all the things we need to learn and all the Bible verses we need to memorize. But simply, friends, the heart of the Christian life is abiding in Jesus. This is the invitation that we have been invited into to exchange our performance-driven, knowledge-obsessed Christianity for genuine communion and relationship with God, to know God, to walk with Jesus. That's what He wants for us. Look at verse 7. It says, if, now, what do we know about the word if? It's important that we pay attention to this. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you stay connected to me, if you stay plugged into me, if you remain in me, my life and my power and my purpose will move by the Holy Spirit in and through your life. And what's the result of that? Well, he says it in verse 8, by this... My Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So what Jesus is saying is that when we're a disciple, when we're a true disciple, what that means is that we are abiding in Christ. Because remember, the natural, uh, uh, the natural outflow of those who abide in Christ is to bear fruit. So Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to be connected to and abiding in in me. And when you do, you'll be fruitful. And that will show that you are my disciple. Now, here's the problem with the word abide. I'm just going to tell you. The problem with the word abide is we really don't know what it means. When we think of abide, we more likely think of the Big Lebowski than anything else. If you're a movie watcher, in the movie The Big Lebowski, there's a guy named The Dude, and his tagline is The Dude Abides. And all it means in that movie is, I just go with the flow. I go wherever the wind blows me. And when we think abide, we kind of think of that like nebulous, can't really quantify it or measure it. We're just abiding. But the truth is, Jesus goes on and talks about ways we can abide. 
I think this is really helpful because it helps me to know when I say if the key to the Christian life is learning to abide in Christ and then when you abide, you'll become fruitful, then I want to know how do I do that, right? I want to know what are ways that I can abide in Christ so that I can be fruitful, so that I can see my Father in heaven glorified and prove that I really am a disciple. So how do we do it? So that's where we're going to go with this, is looking at some of the things Jesus says specifically about how we can abide in Him. Number one is this. If you're a note taker, these are there. Number one, we abide in the love and joy of Christ through our favorite word, obedience. We abide in the love and joy of Christ through obedience. Verse 9 again, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Now, that's an incredible statement. Can we just soak this in here today? Jesus loves you and I with the same intensity, with the same breadth and width and depth of love in which the Father loves Him. He loves you and I that much. And He gives us this command to abide in His love, and that's a pretty good command for you and I, I would say. That's something we should long for. That's something we should greatly desire to live out, to rest today in this wonderful truth that you are loved with the same intensity by God as God loved His one and only Son. See, we get into all kinds of trouble when we begin to to question or doubt if God loves us or if God is for us. We start to think of God as stranger or angry or or separate, but God's saying, no, 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 I love you so much. That's the grounds for all of this to understand. And then as we begin to understand that, verse 10, if you keep my commands, you'll abide in my love just as I keep my Father's commands and abide in His love. So the way we abide in the love of God is by walking and according to His word. Now, I need to say what I said last week. Go back and watch last week's message. But what I said last week is we're not talking about performance-based earning of the love of God. God doesn't love us more or less depending on what we do. We spoke about this truth a lot last week, but Jesus just keeps bringing it up, so we have to keep talking about it. Jesus makes it crystal clear that true love for Him will produce in us a desire for obedience. True love for Jesus should draw us to becoming more like Him, to know Him intimately and deeper and fully. And if you are struggling with an area of disobedience in your life, the solution then, according to Jesus, is not just to try harder, but it's to really more genuinely and fully be connected to the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus. If you want to see transformation and change, you're never going to do that out here on your own. You're going to need to do that by being more and more connected to the vine. Does that make sense? If you want to see change, you're not going to get change just by wishing for change. You're going to need to be connected to the source that brings about obedience. That's being connected to Jesus, growing in your relationship with Jesus. Again, what's the reason for this? Why does Jesus want you to obey? Why does Jesus want you to do things the way that he designed for them? Just because, because? No, 
Verse 11, he says, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. You understand the reason for obedience, the reason for us doing the things that Jesus is telling us to do is because he wants you to be full of joy. He wants you to experience the goodness that's built into his ways, his purpose, and his plans. He doesn't want you to learn all your lessons the hard way. He doesn't want you to go through pain and suffering and difficulty caused by your own disobedience from his way and his design. He wants you to be full of joy. Is that how you view what, it, what life in Christ is like? Life in Christ connected to the source produces fruit in our life, it produces obedience in our life, and it produces joy in our life. Did you know that that's what God's dream for your life is? That as we abide in His love, that He is producing in our life all of the good, all of the fruit, all of the abundance that He desires for our life. But it only comes, once again, if we stay connected. As soon as you start trying to do things on your own, as soon as you start trying to do things by your own ability, your own power, your own gifting, and disconnect from your need for connection to the source, the vine, what happens? We are separated away from that power supply, that source, that vital union in which all fruit flows. Friends, we need to understand this. Jesus' ways... We're not meant to stifle our fun. They were meant to produce joy. True, abundant, real joy. Isn't that so frustrating? It's the lie of the enemy that Jesus is trying to keep you from all the fun stuff. It's what he told Adam and Eve in the garden. He's trying to keep this good stuff from you. When in reality, his design and his ways and his word and his purpose produces joy in our life through obedience. These are wonderful promises given to us from God. God wants us to abide in His love. In abiding in His love, all the help that we could ever need is uh, available to us. So, here's what I want to pray. I just want to stop right now. I want to pray for you. I want to pray this for you right now. God, would you help us to live like this? Would you help us to abide in your love? We praise you for your love. We praise you, Jesus, for loving us the same way that the Father loves you, the same way that you share in this amazing uh, Trinitarian nature with God and the Spirit, and you love us with the same kind of love that you have for each other. We praise you, God. And we pray that you help us to be obedient to your commandments. We pray that you help us to stay connected and to abide in your love. And we pray that we would overflow with joy and fruit in our life as we do. I pray for every person listening online or here in person right now that they would experience the fullness of your joy in their life as they abide in your love and obey, God, your will and your word. Even now, God, I pray that you would give us clarity in your heart, in your commands, as we are disciples of you and want to know more. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Number two, if you're taking notes, we can abide with the body of Christ in love. 
We can abide with Jesus by abiding with the body of Christ in love. Verse 12, this is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, than someone who'd lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So another way we abide in Christ is by abiding in his body. Our friendship with Jesus, once again, is confirmed by the way in which we care for and love each other, by the way we are obedient to his commands. And once again, he uses the word if. He keeps using this word over and over, if. He's saying, he's not saying, if you love people, I'll be your friend. That's not what he's saying. If you love other people, then I will be your friend. He's saying, if you love me and you're my friend, you will love other people. Do you understand the difference? It's important that we get this. Jesus is saying that friendship with him and love for him will produce in us love and friendship with other people. In fact, he goes to great lengths in Scripture to tell us that we'll be known as genuine disciples by the way in which we love each other, by the way in which we relate to each other. And friends, I know in 2023, it has become incredibly popular to say stuff like, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. And I, or I love Jesus, but I'm just not big on Christians. But friends, if we properly understand what Jesus is teaching us here, we cannot come to a place where we say, I love Jesus, but not those people. Because Jesus is saying that true love for him and relationship with him and friendship with him produces in us the fruit of love for others, especially those that are the hardest to love. 1 John 4.20 says it like this. Again, John, the writer of this gospel in his own epistle, wrote it like this. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister. Now, who is he speaking about here? Really important that we understand this. When he says a brother or sister, what is he talking about? He's talking about a member of the church family. He's not talking about their brothers or sisters. He's writing to a, ch a local church, and he's saying, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. You see, Jesus is pleading with his disciples here. He's just hours away from arrest. And you can see these disciples have, have, have had a troubled relationship with each other. And he's telling them, guys, listen, this is vitally important. I'm commanding you this. That's pretty strong language from Jesus, don't you think? I'm commanding you this, that you love one another. We can abide in Christ by being connected to each other, and loving each other as God's people, that keeps us connected to the heart of God. Why? Because God's heart is for his kids. Could you imagine saying to someone, I think you're great, but your kids are stupid. I, man, I cannot stand being around your family, but you're great. 
I mean, we laugh at these things, but we do it all the time. We do it all the time, friends. The church is the body of Jesus. It's his family or his kids, his inheritance, his bride. We better be careful how we talk about his bride, his family, his inheritance. It's not perfect. Why is it not perfect, by the way? Here's a side note. Why is the church not perfect? Because you're here. Because I'm here. As soon as you find a perfect church, you ruined it. Because the day you showed up, it wasn't perfect anymore. Because the church is full of imperfect people who are broken and who are struggling. But that cannot become an excuse for us to become unloving towards each other. Because Jesus says, if you want to abide in me, then you got to love my people. And as you love my people, you show that your love for me is genuine. Here's the next one, number three. The last one. We abide in the power of Christ through the word and prayer. We abide in the power of Christ through the word and prayer. Twice in this passage, we are invited to, commanded to, ask the Father. And what's incredible is what Jesus says the Father will do if we are connected to Him in the vine, if we are abiding in Him and in relationship with Him. He says, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 16, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name he will give it to you. See, what Jesus is telling us is as we stay connected to Him, as we remain abiding in relationship with Him, reliant on Him, that He has the ability, He has the power, the Father has the power and the desire that by and through the Holy Spirit, there is nothing that is in God's will and God's purpose that cannot be accomplished in and through your life. And here's the crazy thing that happens as we abide in Him. As we abide in Him, our mind, our thoughts, our desires, our purpose, our dreams start becoming more like His. You see how that works? If my word is in you, as we are in... So now, it's, it, it, I'm actually beginning to learn to ask for the very things that we've been talking about that God has planned for my life before He laid the foundation of the universe. I'm starting to, to hunger and thirst after the same stuff that God wants for my life. And as we do, the Bible is really clear. When we ask for things that are in God's desire, in God's will, in God's purpose for our life, what's God do? He answers. It's over and over written in Scripture that we are to pray in Jesus' name. Now, what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Don't you think that's important for us to talk about for a second? In fact, band, I'm going to have you come back up. What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Because I think oftentimes when we pray in Jesus' name, it's just like the thing that we end our prayer with or the thing that we start our prayer with. Right? It's just like the preamble or the postscript. We, we add, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. But what does it mean? Because it's not just magic words. It's not like, hey, throw in the name Jesus and he'll give you whatever you ask for. 
So what does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? See, to pray in Jesus' name means that we are asking according to Jesus' nature, according to Jesus' character. We are asking in obedience to Jesus' word. We are asking in submission to the life and the witness and the testimony of Jesus Christ. To pray in Jesus' name is that we are praying according to Jesus' nature. We are praying according to Jesus' makeup. We are praying according to Jesus' ability, His power. We are placing our faith that Jesus can do what He says He can do and what He will do. We are claiming the promises and the word of Jesus. It's so much more than just adding in Jesus' name at the end of your prayer. We we need to have our whole prayer life come into step with what it means to pray in Jesus' name, according to the nature of Jesus, according to the will of Jesus, according to this being submitted, what it means to walk in submission to Jesus. That's really the the unique thing that we are given access to, friends, and I just want to encourage you with this today. Are you connected to the vine? What is your connection like? Do you feel like your connection to Jesus is just part of your life? It's it's just something that's there? Or do you feel that it's life-giving? Do you feel like it's the most important thing in your life? my connection to Jesus. Because let me tell you, friends, do you want to be a good husband or wife or friend or worker? Do you want to, do you want to be a good student? Do you want to, because any one of those things, the only way to get the fruit of that is to be connected to Jesus. And here's the good news. Jesus wants you to be connected to him. Jesus wants your connection with him to grow. Jesus wants you to experience a richer, fuller connection than what you've yet experienced. So what's hindering us? What's stopping us? What's holding us back? Because it's not him. You and I are invited today. And I think there's some pruning that needs to happen in our life. I think there's things that we hold on to That the Father is saying, I want to see you fruitful, so in love I want to take this thing that's holding you back, that's holding you down, that's keeping you from stepping into my plan and purpose for your life. But we hold on to these things and think, no, 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 if I let that go, you don't understand. And God is saying, do you trust me? See, I want to be like David. I want to pray, search me. Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me if there's any anxious thoughts or if there's any offensive way in me. Show me. Prune me. Do you trust him enough to pray that today, to say, God, prune me. Help me, God, to be fruitful. Anything that's dragging on the ground, tie it up. Anything that's keeping me from bearing fruit, God, would you reveal it? Would you cut it free? Because, friends, I believe that if we have a genuine connection with Jesus and we are growing in that connection, that God will produce in you exceedingly and abundantly more fruit than you could ever ask for or imagine. Is that what you want? 